Welcome, friends, to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Being a good storyteller or great storyteller with Selena Andrews. I have a great guest for us today. Oh my God, she is a blast. And you've probably seen her or at least heard her voice on Disney+. Plus. We have the actress with us, Selena Andrews, who hails from St. Croix. And I love the Virgin Islands. And thank you so much for coming on the show with us today and bringing your sparkle and your enthusiasm for one of my favorite topics, storytelling. Thank you so much for having me to talk about my favorite topic <laughs> and my passion in life, which is storytelling. Oh, it's so perfect. And, and I know that now you're, you know, a little north of Atlanta and, you, and we're both talking before the show about being landlocked because we're water people. But I also think that the flow of the water in our soul is kind of like how that creativity moves through. And so I think it's still there with us. So I have a question for you, a couple questions for you leading into the storytelling piece. I know that you've been in the entertainment world since you were pretty young. And I'd love to know how all that got started. Like you were like, I think seven, I think is what I read. But how did that yes. get started? Like, how not too many seven-year-olds go, okay, well, I'm going to go be an actress. So, you know, I'm going to go be an <laughs> So how did that work? <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I come from a family that is kind of a secret, secret artist all at heart. But they are, you know, like politicians and doctors and educators and lawyers. And when I was really little, my older brother, he and I were thick as thieves and we would create our own little musicals and our own little plays. And he's he's about a year and a half older than me. And uh, so when I was about like three or four and he was about six years old, five or six, he would take something that we saw off a cartoon and he'd be like, let's go act it out for mom and dad. And we had these big curtains that separated like the kids playroom from, from the living room. and voila, now we have a theater because we have these curtains. And so we kind of just had a blast. Just, you know, we were TV kids, of you know, the latchkey kids of the 80s. And we would watch something and be so inspired to go act it out, whether it was Fraggle Rock or the Star Wars or what have you. And my poor parents, we would, you know, they'd work all day and then we'd sit them down and they would be forced to watch these little kids who knows what our scripts were about? They were probably ridiculous, but we had such imagination and we'd turn anything into a, a toy, uh, a weapon or a daisy or, you know, what have you. <laughs> and my parents recognized that that kind of imagination is so healthy to water in children. Uh, of course, they were secretly hoping I would become a scientist and uh, a doctor and my brother as well. And boy, did we disappoint them because my brother is a uh, well-known musician and I'm a well-known actress. So <laughs> we had our own plans <laughs> from a very young age. Wow, that's really cool. That's really cool. I love it. And and I think it's fun <laughs> that your brother went into music and you're in acting and it really did start back then. And your parents watered yes. the creativity and they got exactly what they watered. I mean, it's no surprise. <laughs> 
They did. They did. <laughs> I don't think they realized what they were in for, but yes. <laughs> oh my God. That's hysterical. I love it. I love it. So talk to us a little bit about the journey from starting acting that young and and how it has led you to where you are now. Like, give us a little cliff note. Like, how did that work? Like, because you were in the Virgin Islands then, and so you had to get to the U.S. Right. And then, like, yes. how did all that work? Because now, and you're working with Disney, so. Right. Um, so it's really difficult when you are, you know, on an island that not many people even know about to have a career in such a, such a hard industry to begin with. And at a very young age, I, I knew it was what I wanted. I've known it probably since I came out of the womb. And I would just pester the crap out of my parents. And once I got a taste of being on stage uh, at seven years old, you know, starring in Annie uh, at the only, you know, uh, at the only like real amphitheater on the island and having such big audiences night, night after night. I just, I was hooked. And so after two years of me wearing down my parents, they recognized that <laughs> they were going to have to talk to somebody professional who knew what they were doing. And my mom got me uh, connected with a, a modeling agency. And they happened to have somebody on the island who would go between islands, between the three, three Virgin Islands, and train the young girls. And uh, it just so happened that in my first year modeling, I was also singing and dancing and they invited me to enter into this competition and uh, amongst the islands. And in that competition, I ended up winning. And then I headed to New York. Oh, my gosh. Whole new ball game. <laughs> so oh, wow. I was actually the youngest talent or young, youngest performing artist to ever go to the New York talent, this specific uh, talent competition. And I won as Miss U.S. Virgin Islands at nine years old. <laughs> I love and it. And so uh, after that, I, I was seen by talent scouts, immediately signed by an agency. They wanted to put me on the Cosby show and, and what have you. Uh, and my mom was like, oh my gosh, we're not going to live in the United States. We're going home. Like, what What have we done here? We, we've created a monster. She doesn't want to leave New York. <laughs> and so my mom said, you got one summer. That's it. And she was gracious enough to spend her whole summer in New York with me, dragging me around. You know, back then we didn't have cell phones. She would just, we'd get a call or something on the beeper and she'd drag me all over Manhattan to different offices. And um, I ended up doing commercials and, and uh, you know, singing and dancing my little heart out in classes and trying to audition for Broadway. You name it. I went for it. And then at the end of the summer, my mom was like, time's up. We're going home. <laughs> and that just broke my little heart to so many pieces. Uh, and, and so I went home. And then I found, I, I feel like my whole life has been trying to get back to, to that. Trying to get back to that feeling. Always chasing my creative bliss uh, that I had that one summer in New York. Wow, that was cool. So was that a big culture shot from St. Croix to New York? Like, Oh, my goodness. That yes. just is like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, talk about a little, you know, uh, big curly haired, uh, uh, sunburned kid who ran around barefoot and hated shoes to going to Manhattan where everything had to be polished and I had to be dressed, you know, well every day for, for every audition and my hair had to be pressed and I had to wear shoes that I couldn't walk in. And <laughs> it was quite a culture shock. And then, you know, 
just seeing so many people and the vibrations of a city versus being on an island where everything's slow paced and and uh, warm. It was really, really bizarre. But I have to say, I loved it. I was so curious. I was obsessed with bodegas, particularly the ones in Chinatown. I would ask my mom, I'm like, oh, they have the best food. Let's go down to a bodega in Chinatown. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of how we lived. We'd, we'd go on our auditions all day long. And then uh, my mom would take me to our favorite little bodega to get dinner. And we'd go home and we'd watch the Muppet show. Because <laughs> that was my show back then. <laughs> oh, that was a great show. That was yes, so perfect. Yes. I love it. I love it. And so, I love that from the very beginning, your family supported this big vision, this dream, your heart going after it. And yet they also put parameters on it, right? But they, they support, did. they did, they supported you. Yes. And so how has that early support affected you through this time? Like how does it even affect you today, knowing that you were supported that strongly when you were young? For what it was at the time. And I am so grateful because they did nurture what was something that I hope they saw inherently was a part of me, part of my soul, part of my calling. And even though it, they had put parameters on it, I am so appreciative that they at least heard what I needed and heard what I wanted so that I could take the reins from there and keep on watering myself. That's ultimately what I've done in my film career, film and TV career, is I've really learned how to rely on that uh, foundation that they helped me build and then water myself for it. So I, I can just say I have so much gratitude for, for being a latchkey kid who was sat in front of the TV and, and allowed to, to keep them up at night doing my little performances <laughs> with the living room curtains. <laughs> I love it. I could just see you doing that. It's like, I, oh I have the image. I have the image. It was, it was great. I'm sure there's some videos of it somewhere out, somewhere out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that don't be, go looking for it, anybody, please. <laughs> that will be even more fun. So I want to talk a little too about storytelling because I think storytelling is so vital to all of it. And and you are an an artist at storytelling. And so talk a little bit about how storytelling feeds your soul. Like where, you know, how does that work for you from the inside out? Yes. Ultimately, I feel like it is the most spectacular way that we as human beings communicate. It's how we connect. It, to me, it's, it's really how you can change the heart, mind, and soul of someone who you feel is so alien to you and so different. You know, we've had all this political turmoil going on, different sides of the aisle. And if we rely on storytelling to actually listen to each other, I feel like we'd end up recognizing that we're all human and we're all connected. And so my passion has always been there for using storytelling as my way to really connect to other people. I always felt like I was an old soul way beyond my years. I never quite fit in as a kid. I didn't fit in my family. I'm definitely the black sheep. And uh, I, I always had that carrying that with me of, oh, I don't fit in. I don't fit in. But what I did have was my passion to tell stories. And in doing so, I was able to captivate the attention of others, not in an attention-seeking way, but more in a, hey, this is something I would love to share. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to listen and then tell me what you think. And it automatically creates this bridge between people is what I've noticed. 
And I don't feel like that has an age limit. I don't feel like it has a race limit, whether, you know, someone is disabled with, uh, let's say they couldn't see you or they couldn't hear you. There's always ways to tell stories uh, as human beings. Right. And storytelling is like the oldest art form, right? Like, yes. And that's how information's transferred generation to generation and in all the different ways, you know, like the stories around campfires and the stories, you know, in the family car on the vacation or the stories, they're everywhere. And it's part of who we are. And, and it's funny when you said, well, funny, not funny, haha, but interesting, I guess is a better word. When you said that you were an old soul and didn't really fit in all the people that I work with, including me, we're all like, we call ourselves interrupters. Like (laughs) we are, we're the black sheeps of our family because we came in with a soul calling to interrupt whatever, whatever the intergenerational trance was before us. Yes. And so we're doing a mighty service by stepping into who we are as storytellers, as that authentic being who's saying, hold on a minute here, that this intergenerational trauma, trance, whatever, and, exactly. and, and I'm taking a stand. I love that. And, and I, you know, when I first went into TV and film, uh, I was immediately told, oh, you're too old. Uh, you're too old to be entering this right now. No one, are you Hispanic or are you black? No one's going to really know. So no one's going to want to hire you because you almost have to like pick something that you are. And I, and I said no to all of it. I said, there's no age limit on being a storyteller. There's no height limit. <laughs> there is certainly no race limit. And so I've uh, fought really hard. I'm, I'm on the local SAG board for Atlanta, and I'm also on a diversity committee. And that goes for everything. That Why would it be if, if someone is in a wheelchair, they cannot be a director? That's, that's false. You know, we are all capable of telling stories, and there should be no limitations to that. So I, I do fight very, very hard for it. As well as for my own self, I'm constantly having to prove, hey, look, I can actually do this. And if you're not here to, to aid this kind of progression for, for us, which is so incredibly uh, crucial on TV, since it's a visual medium, people need to see themselves out there. And you don't see many West Indian American uh, actors and actresses, especially ones my kind of mix you'll see, you know, everyone likes to be in these boxes and I'm so out of the box for them. And so I feel like it's very much my duty to be out there and to let people see, hey, she can play a doctor. She doesn't have to play a maid or um, she can play anything. And, And that's really, really important to me as I do this work. Right. I think that's really important too, because I remember when being down in St. Thomas for quite some time and, and, there are like, well, on the whole world, there's all these stereotypes because I'm four foot 11 and I'm blonde and I have blue eyes. Yeah. And so people think therefore that I guess I don't have any brain cells or something. I don't know. Oh, I, no. I have gotten so many different <gasps> blonde jokes and, and oh. my dark haired friends go, I had a blonde moment. I said, watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. And, you know, I still laugh, but it's not funny. It's not funny. It. It's not funny underneath it because it just shows that there's such pervasive cultural ignorance. Yes. And. And I remember um, my, when my brother first moved to St. Thomas, you're going to love this story. He, he, we were off, we were from Florida and he went down there to open a sail loft and she wasn't there very long. And we were having a conversation and he said, it's so different there, D- different down here. I go, why? He goes, because when you go into the grocery stores, you say good day, good day to everybody. You say hello to everybody. And where in Florida, you didn't do that. You didn't dare, you know? Right. 
And but in Ireland, you acknowledged everybody and you said good day and all that, or, or they weren't going to talk to you until you acknowledged them. And right. I said, but I said, but that's beautiful. That's that's beautiful. And he loved it. And then then when he came back, I lived there for a, a while, a long time. And when he came back to the US, he goes, Oh, this is all wrong. Like he so totally loved having that different kind of connection. Yes. And there is beauty in, in that culture. And yes, um, I think anyway. And and so I think there's beauty in all culture. And but I love the island culture. I can't help it. I just yeah. it's in my blood <laughs> somewhere. So when when you think about your acting career and uh-huh. you're like, you know, you're a woman. You are representing in a powerful way diversity in all of its different ways. Right. You know, lots of different angles, which I think is so important and valuable. Yes. And so in all of that, what do you do to take care of you? Because that this mission that you're on is a mighty one. Plus, you've got to add yes. all your work, all of your all of your roles and all the work you're doing for your craft. There's, those are two big callings. And so what do you do to take care of Selena? That is a fantastic question. Uh, sorry, you see my dogs walking around behind me. Um, <laughs> yeah, my dog's, my dog well, is sleeping. Well, there's that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I have my dogs that, that I go on walks with every single day. I have to be in nature. I like to do grounding where you, where you touch the earth barefoot. Uh, that's something that's really important to me because it helps me get back to just feeling connected. When you're an emotional athlete like I am, it's very easy to get lost in the almost in the hurricane of, of the emotions that we are required to master. And sometimes you get a little carried away. Uh, you know, if you're if I'm researching and I'm trying to really pinpoint how to be a voice for a specific emotion in a specific role so that whoever watches it feels like I told their story and that I understood it. You know, you can, it could be hard to get back from that. So for me, I do a lot of grounding. I love to swim. I'm a water baby. I prefer the ocean, but we don't have ocean here. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I, for me, it's nature. And for me, it's, I work with different dog rescues and it's just being, being with other, uh, being in harmony with other things. And it may be, don't talk to anybody for three days and just go hang out with the birds. <laughs> I have an obscene right. amount of birds in my backyard. They all know I'm the place to go to for all my bird feeders. Um, oh. <laughs> it's a little embarrassing, but <laughs> that's how I, I reconnect and, and that's how I uh, self-heal. Oh, that's beautiful. And I think nature is the most healing of all. And when I moved up here to North Carolina, when I moved up last spring and I went in my backyard the first day and there were these little chipmunks and I'd never, I've not seen chipmunks live and they were hopping around and I'm like, oh my gosh, little chipmunk. And I was like a little, like a little kid at Disney. Oh my God, look. And, (laughs) And it's like, I'm so connected to nature, especially when it's new. Yeah, as well as the things that are so familiar to me, I'm like, wow, this is like really fun, you know. Yeah, like, it 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 brings us back to earth and grounds us. And I think that when we're gifted, we need to be grounded and we need to really work absolutely being more grounded. So, how often or how do you connect with your intuition in your work? You know, I, it's not a matter of a formula for how. I think it's something that I just naturally have always had. And it could be because I'm an empath. And so when I, when I read something or when I connect to watching something, 
I feel it so profoundly. And uh, I automatically know how to give it a voice. And then if it's something that I am not as familiar with, but I, but I understand, that's when I try to craft that voice so that I'm making sure I do it justice. So I was also a, a professor for a while. <laughs> I taught anatomy and physiology at vocational schools. And uh, I love science. I know it's, it's strange. You think of a creative and then we're, you know, some of us are right brain and left brain. For me, science is, is a whole nother story to tell. I, I'd be acting out the red blood cells journey through the body. You know, first it goes here to the spleen and then it's doing so-and-so and I'd give them names and being completely silly. And then everyone's acing the test. So for me, it's always finding that uh, what makes what it's having the intuition to find what makes a story or any kind of information the most absorbable by another human being. That's what I've always been uh, nurturing. <laughs> oh my word! I'm a science geek too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, "Oh my!" Oh, oh my. I love it. I and love it. I have had people who've said to me that if they don't cross over creativity and science, and I argue that point. And so now I have yet one more person. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I feel like they're so beautifully married, science and, and creativity. They're To me, they're in the same, you know, arena. So yes, I they totally, complement each other. I agree with you. And I think, I guess, I also think that's part of like cultural bias and cultural judgment that yes. people don't realize they've siloed themselves into these belief systems that aren't necessarily accurate. Exactly. And we have to be willing to challenge those belief systems that aren't necessarily accurate in order to really have a rich, full life and really bring our own purpose and mission to fruition. Yes. You know? And yes. And, and I'm just, I'm just loving having this conversation with you. And so, <laughs> okay. So now in every story, there's like mm -hmm. the protagonist and there's all the lessons and there's a curve, you know, and the hero's journey yes. and all of those things. And so one of the things I love to do is I love to read biographies or learn about people in some way through biographical and autobiographical means. And I love to right. watch the like threads that go through all different kinds of stories. And one of the threads that I find fascinating, and I would love to hear what you think about it, is the thread of feeling different than or not necessarily understood or... I mean, like almost like I don't really belong on this earth. I'm not even really sure like why I'm here, like kind of almost like a disconnection, even though the person wants to be connected and they have to work to be yes. grounded. And, and I see that in a lot of stories displayed in different ways, but that's the kind of feel I get. And I'm wondering what you think about that. Is that something that resonates with you? And if so. Absolutely. Uh, I, I tend to, I feel like we really see a lot of this actually right now. I would say even the, over the last decade, we've seen an increase in the underdog story or even, you know, whether whether you watch Marvel or not, uh, it's very, you know, those are your, our big blockbuster superhero films. But what's the, the best part of those superhero films are, uh, in my opinion, is the villain. That's the most well-crafted because they're the underdog. They're the one who felt different and why they did the things that they did, even though you know, society may deem it wrong. They had, they, they were seeking justice or they were seeking to be understood. And it's that shutdown of no longer paying attention to the one that needed the village. You know, it's, it's, it's the whole, uh, a child will burn down the village 
just to, to feel its warmth if it's not heard. And I feel very much so that our, our TV and film is starting to reflect that very thing that we are experiencing in society. I identify that with that very personally, uh, because I know for me, being the, the Black sheep of my family, uh, then culturally moving to the United States, being an island girl who, you know, I had a thick accent. I actually stopped speaking for several months uh, when I first moved to Atlanta because I was made fun of so mercilessly. <laughs> and then I learned, okay, I'm going to learn how to speak in perfect American, you know, accent. And I did. And it's, it's just amazing the lengths that the person who is misunderstood will go to just to be accepted in some way to have connection. Because really, that's what, what it's about. And then when we, when we lose somebody who is so disconnected, I think that's our next question to, to really start addressing. Because I feel that leads to so, so much violence that we're seeing. The dis disconnected uh, group, maybe, I don't really go with the whole lone wolf, but uh, it's the di disconnection that we keep on seeing and we keep on losing people too. Yeah, I think that that sense of belonging and connection is is part of our DNA. It's part of our inherent neurology. Yes. You know, our brains seek it. Our biology seeks it. And so when you get disconnected to a certain point, that fissure gets so wide that we're losing those. They're like falling off the cliff, those people in whatever different ways. Exactly. And it's time that people start waking up and doing something about that. Yes. And, and um, quite frankly, an aside, I think the West Indian accent is just beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and it, and it's really fun because when I go in stores or places with friends of mine who don't know that what the West Indian accent is, and I meet people and I hear it, I go, oh, and I'm pretty much can know what island you feel like you're home. And I'm like, oh, I yes, just, I, you know. And they're like looking at me funny, and I'm like, you don't understand. There is beauty in that. Yes, it's yeah. you. You get back to the connection of it from yeah. from being in St. Thomas. Yeah, and so <laughs> it's it's just a beautiful thing. And so I just thought I'd let you know that. And you yeah. make a good point. People will go to any lengths to be to belong and feel connected. Yes. And the villains in the stories go to any lengths that look villain. Right. They're, ju they're just trying to be heard and understood and right. get along in the world somehow, some way. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what's it like being a, a Disney character? <laughs> it is fantastic. Disney's been very good to me. I'm actually really, really proud to be a part of the Disney family because I feel like they are doing such a such a good job with bringing in more cultural diversity, more inclusion, both in front of and uh, behind the camera. And they're 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 doing everything that they can to be on the right side of history. So it's really exciting to be a part of that because uh, for me as a storyteller and as a, on a visual storyteller, I feel like it's like I have a, a sense of duty to make sure that I'm also being seen in a way that is not stereotypical. I'm being seen in a way that is positive and that is uh, more of the norm and that is culturally educational to the rest of the world. So uh, me being a, a Virgin Islander who's transplanted to Georgia, you know, I, I'm, I'm an island girl with a southern swirl, you know, <laughs> and I don't ever hide that about myself. I, I used to. And, and then I said, no, this is who I am. And for casting, I always let them know this is who I am. And Disney embraced it wholeheartedly. And, you know, I, I'm so proud to be a part of a, a giant that does that. And what they're doing right now with all of their stories is really something special. Oh, that is so beautiful. So if you're listening to what Selena and Duz is talking about, 
You can check the show notes out for more of her biography and how to follow her on Instagram and, and everywhere. And of course, you can find her on Disney Plus because that's where she is. And we're going to keep going, but I just want to tell you that um, this conversation is very, very important and it's got me goosebumps. And for somebody as really talented as you are to spend time with us, sharing with all of us, me and all my listeners, this valuable information to help people really live from their heart is such a huge gift. And thank you. Thank you so much for letting me share this with you. <laughs> so you're also, you know, an educator, right? And you teach acting yes. and you're a storyteller. <laughs> you do all these really amazing, we, in our gifted world, we call it being a multi-potentialite. Yes. You can do just lots of things and, and love them all. And so how do you handle stress? Oh my gosh, that is a fantastic question. Um, without eating too much chocolate because I am on TV and I have to, <laughs> to maintain a certain look. <laughs> right. Uh, how do I maintain stress? Okay, well, I do also watch obscene amounts of television. And I always write it off and say, well, it's my job. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, part of it's my job, but I, I kind of like to get lost in stories. I read books, I listen to music, I listen to podcasts. I just, whenever I'm, I'm really stressed out, I try to uh, kind of escape or let myself completely get lost for a little while and then go find myself again. Uh, So, yeah. So, so for example, I was watching this, this crazy, crazy show. Uh, It came out years ago, but I was watching this. uh, It's called Penny Dreadful. And I was so taken in with Rory Kinnear. He he was playing Frankenstein's monster and he had adopted the name John Clare after the poet. And I was just so obsessed with what was happening. And, you know, in the show that I binge watched the whole show, show. And then after that, I I ended up looking him up and I'm like, what else has this man done? And then it brought me back to myself because I I kept questioning, why was I so attached to this character? He's not the only one who did a beautiful job, but why him? And I recognized, oh, wait, it's that story that that resonates with me again. It's the person who was who didn't deserve to be cast out from the castle. You know, and then did everything in his power to just have connection, including begging the man who made him to create him a mate, you know, make the bride of Frankenstein's monster. Just just give me someone, just give me something to live for since he realized he was immortal. And I was just it, so that's what I mean. I'll find something and get lost in it and then bring it back to me like, oh, how does this make me understand myself better so that I'm a better storyteller or so that I'm uh, able to connect with someone that I might meet right. who needs that from me as well? And I can extend that fire or extend that olive branch uh, or extend that hug, whatever they might need in that moment. Right. And so, that story. <laughs> and so the connection and the storytelling and all of its different venues is, is, a soul thing for you. It's not simply your yes. work. It's not just your work. It's like your work is a vocation that comes from that calling within your soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and when I mentor actors and, and coach them, I tell them, you know, this is, this is the toughest industry in the world. And if you're getting into it to be famous, that's a whole different thing. You should, it's going to be really hard for someone to be successful if they're just chasing fame and I, I kind of have sit them down and have that heart to heart. And I say, look, you know, you need to be chasing your passion for storytelling. 
it's got to be, where do I fit? What is my dharma? How do I fit the village? What is my purpose and who I'm supposed to be the best at telling a certain story so the whole village of humanity survives? You know, for me, I, I very lovingly refer to, uh, there was this man named Sam Christensen, who was my mentor, and he, he passed away uh, about two years ago. But he, he taught me the whole concept of storytelling and dharma. And he said, you know, Selena, you're the soft wooden hammer. You are the one we all look to who's going to tell it to us straight, but with the most heart and, and with the most empathy. You will knock us over the head with it, but you'll do it gracefully and with softness. And I was like, soft wooden hammer? I don't know what you're talking about. That's awful. And then he was like, oh, honey. Oh, honey. Yes, you are. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for him uh, for, for showing that to me. And I, I don't have any desire really for fame. I just, I just want to work and I just want to be telling the stories that need to be told. And if that takes me to a more visible journey, then, then wonderful. If it doesn't, then I hope at least it touches exactly who it's supposed to touch. Right. Yeah. That's, that's trusting that whole out picturing. See, one of my yes. first mentor told me I was like a velvet sledgehammer that I just knocked people over the head with the truth and they like loved it because <laughs> of the You're, velvet. Oh my gosh. I love it. That's basically the same thing. <laughs> oh my God. It's so fantastic. hysterical. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. 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 Oh, I, this is oh, cracking wonderful. me up. It's cracking me up. <laughs> Okay, so I have another random question that I'm just very curious about because you are from the islands and you have traveled a lot and everything. And I'd love to know yes. what the most memorable food is you've ever eaten. The most. Oh my goodness! Food. I will tell you, sugar apples. I miss and love sugar apples. So in Saint Croix, I believe it's pretty much just the Virgin Islands have um, the specific type of sugar apple. Have you ever had one? Mm, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's my favorite, favorite fruit. And it's impossible to find it in the in the US, at least here in Atlanta, it's impossible to find. But I remember as a kid, we had this big, gorgeous sugar apple tree. And I used to climb it and uh, go and pluck the sugar apples. And it was the only tree that my dad wouldn't yell at me for climbing too high. And because he knew that I would be very careful in the sugar apple tree. <laughs> Because I just had to get the sugar apples and, and bring them down uh, to safety. So, wow. yeah, that's my favorite <laughs> island food. That's my most nostalgic uh, island food is really our, our, our local fruits. And uh, we also have, you know, papayas and mangoes to die for. So I'm definitely a tropical fruit girl. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So there's people out here listening to you that are wanting to follow their heart's desire and maybe feel a little bit of fear or trepidation or not sure if they should say yes, or, or they're just beginning. And, and when you think about people in that beginning stage or that thinking about beginning stage, do you have any words of advice or encouragement or something that you would share maybe to inspire to it's okay to take the next step? Yes. Uh, I would love to say to those who just keep having that nagging little question about following their dream or following their passion, that it's going to hit you eventually. And if you answer it now, it won't be the big, big ton of bricks that's going to drop on you later uh, in your life. Your passion will always find you. So either you start listening to it now when it's just a quiet voice or you know, you'll have a much bigger voice to answer to <laughs> uh, later on. And then you'll also usually along with those louder voices later on, 
comes a loud negative voice telling you, oh, no, 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 it's the society voice. You're too old to do it now. Or you're, you know, you're too heavy to do it now. And those voices aren't real. Those voices are, are meant to keep you in your bubble. And when we stay in a bubble, we don't grow. And your, your voice of uh, passion is meant to, it's your whole reason for being here. It's meant to get you growing. And no one wants to be in a stagnant pond. So let your water flow, let your passions grow and listen to your inner voice. Just oh, go for it. Beautiful. You don't have anything to lose. <laughs> right. right. I, yes, ditto. So if you just heard what Selena just said, you can replay it over and over and over again until it gets in. That's the beauty of a podcast, folks. Yes. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about being an empath for a moment, shall we? Uh, sure. Because a lot of gifted people are very sensitive. I, I am. Um, there's the highly sensitive group, and there's the empaths and the intuition. And I, I have coined a new phrase um, called intense sensitivities, which are people who are intuitive plus gifted. And so mm. there's a spiritual giftedness, like the empath intuitive, and and gifted, which is you know have the overexcitabilities of gifted people. So. I'm interested in how you being an empath and an old soul, how that is impacted working in an industry that doesn't necessarily care about empaths. <laughs> and it's not necessarily yes. emotionally, you know, congruent that way. It's a very hard industry. And, and so how do you, how do you do that? With a lot of skill, to be honest, I had to learn boundaries. I had to learn how to protect my energy, protect my body, protect... Basically, you have to build this barrier, but you also have to be vulnerable. It sounds like a, a, you know, a catch-22 when you are an actor. But in the vulnerability, you usually find another scene partner. You find someone else who is doing the exact same thing. And when that happens, it's magic because the two of you have locked in on each other. You're sharing all of this art. You're sharing the passion. You're sharing the story. And everything else on set is tuned out. All the other people, are, are they just disappear because what's happened is you've, you've learned how to really hone how to create a fortress around only that energy and protect it. And then, you know, when they yell cut, you have to bring the, the drawbridge back up and uh, allow the rest of the world, you know, to crowd you all over again. So it becomes a muscle that you're that you're constantly oiling and constantly, you know, working out. Right. And for a lot of people who are highly sensitive and who are also empaths like I am, that can be exhausting. So, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that as a working actor, we actually have time between projects to decompress and to kind of recharge. And, you know, I, I don't know about other empaths, but for me, I, I have to be alone. I need dead silent. I'll, I'll be on set for 14 hours a day and then I'll go home and I will just be in complete silence. Uh, and that is part of my recharge. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult task to undertake. But yeah. when I feel I must do, um, not something I, acting is not something I have to do. It's, it's just something I, um, <laughs> let me rephrase that. Acting isn't something that like, oh, I just want to go out and do it. It's something that I have to do. I can't imagine living without storytelling. So I go through the hardship of all of the industry stress, all of the business of acting. 
um, where they don't care if you're an empath or not, because it's about, you know, it's about money. It's a, it's a business first. And I, I learned how to maneuver through that so that I can do what I have to do as a storyteller. Right. Because what you have to do as a storyteller is your soul's calling. Yes. And if you try to ignore it or stump it or stop it, it just comes through louder later, like you said. Exactly. So, so you're answering that soul calling in an industry that doesn't really care about it. So you have to get those good boundaries and create a way to have them work together, which is a really smart thing to do. Thank you. <laughs> and honestly, I, I, that's the way you survive and have longevity, career longevity. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It sure is. And there's a lot of that fun stuff. So when you look forward five years, 10 years into your future and your life in general, what do you see? I see bigger, juicier, relevant parts where I am telling stories that I'm constantly learning all of these new um, shades of an emotion. You know, we understand what happy is. We understand what anger is. But, you know, rage is a little bit different than just anger. So I'm really, really excited about everything I have ahead of me that I know is coming where I get to, to really... Um, uh, polish all of these beautiful little notes in between of the six core emotions of human beings and gets to deliver them in different characters and um, have people really connect to them as I age, hopefully gracefully, uh, so that people of different generations, you know, as I move into a new generation, uh, that they could connect with me or a new age set that they can connect with me. And uh, younger folks can be like, oh, wow, when I'm her age, I want to do that kind of thing. So I'm really excited. And I hope, you know, uh, for me, I just I know I'll be doing this till the day I croak. So <laughs> whatever comes, comes. And if it's not going to be on screen, it'll be uh, on stage or it would be in workshops, helping people cultivate their own voices, their own master storyteller and finding what lane to travel in as a master storyteller so that everything's progressing in life and not remaining stagnant. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, how do you see your work impacting humanity, our culture? You know, I, I really hope uh, that I can be a character out there or an actress out there that people feel... I got it. Oh, she gets it. She, I understand. She, she understands it entirely how I felt when I went through that, because that's the whole point of storytelling. And for me, I feel more connected to the world when I can uh, cultivate ex exactly that, where I can understand it and then maybe put it into words that you weren't able to express it in so that you can say, oh, well, Selena got it. So you just go watch that movie and you'll know exactly what I meant. Um, or just go watch that TV show because that character, that's me, that's me. And being able to have that, it, it's such a gift, profound responsibility. So that's, that's what I'm excited about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's totally beautiful. Now, but um, we're getting close to the end because you've given us so much of your time so generously. <laughs> but is there anything that you've been wanting to share about that was on your heart to share that I haven't asked about or brought up yet? Because there's so many fascinating things we could go on for days. <laughs> is there, <laughs> is, is there uh, something that you re your heart wants to say? Well, I would just say to if, if you can take one day this week to go out there and just either people watch or 
listen in, maybe even eavesdrop, feel a little bit naughty about it and eavesdrop on a conversation from people that you would have no connection to, uh, complete strangers and, you know, make sure you're wearing your mask so that you're safe, but, but go and, and eavesdrop on strangers. And then you'll see that they're really not so different and that there is connection and that there is love and, uh, that we are actually all a part of humanity's story. Yes. That we are all connected. We're all one. Mm-hmm. It's totally true. Excellent. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. So I have one final question for you. You ready? Yes. Go for it. <laughs> There, we're going to create a billboard that the entire world is going to see with your message on it. What's that message on that billboard? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's one heck of a question. I love it. Boy, what would I want to say? There's no such thing as alien. There's only empathic resonance. Look it up and embrace it. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> When I was Thank in high you. school, I was sure I was an alien because nobody got it. Yeah. 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 No All such right. thing as aliens. That's perfect. <laughs> well, everybody, you've heard an amazing conversation with myself and Selena Andrews. I tell you, she's a something. You're something. Thank you so much for being here. And I want to remind everybody that Selena's information is in the show notes. Follow her on Instagram. Go hunt her down. Follow her work. And give her some love on Instagram. Let her know you heard her here on Someone Gets mm-hmm. Me. So thank you, Selena, for being on the show with me today and sharing so openly and authentically and personably, because I really think that what you've had to share not only is impactful and important and inspiring for those people who secretly or for all of us, but especially the people who aren't really sure what to do. So I really appreciate your time. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. All right. Remember, everybody, put your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You're here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there and let your beautiful light shine. And until the next episode, if someone gets it. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.